Welcome to Spinning Backclick, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On today's episode, we got a lot to unpack. Magomed Ankalaev making noise at light heavyweight Jim Miller. He does it again. The dude is a legend. And a lot of huge fights were signed this past week, including a uh, matchup in the strawweight division, a historical matchup in the uh, strawweight division. All right, gorgeous George here on the con, and look at the distinguished panel we have for you today. SBC creator goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He's in Las Vegas. Dan Tom also in Sin City. Wait till you hear him unleash. Nolan King is in Boston, freezing his ass off probably. Another great talent that we have here at MMA Junkie cold coffee on the ones and twos but before we get started if you could kindly hit that like button let's just say i wouldn't be mad at you that'll jolt the algorithm or something like that please we'd love you all right guys it's been about a month since we saw fights in the octagon so let's let's start there uh we're ultimately here for the competition right let's begin with that main event at this past saturday's ufc fight night 234. Magomed Ankalaev viciously finished Johnny Walker in the second round of their encounter. And now it appears we might have our next title fight in the making. Alex Pajeda versus Magomed Ankalaev. Or do we? I mean, who doesn't want to see Pajeda versus Jamal Hill throw down, right? Do we take the layup, meaning Ankalaev at UFC 300? No disrespect to him. I just mean he looks like he came out of that healthy and ready to go. So that would be in April. Or do we swish a three-pointer from downtown like my colleague Fada Hanoun likes to do on the courts in Cairo, Egypt? That would be in the summer at International Fight Week when we anticipate Hill may be ready to go. Goes, you get the first take this week. Yeah, that one's tough because it really comes down to the way the UFC wants to play their cards, right? If they feel like they need that, then yeah, Ankalaev's the, the, the deserving guy. He had a great performance. Um, he's all around, I mean, think about it. He threatens from just about every angle now in a fight. Very tough to kind of put him off to the side. So if that's what the UFC wants, they want that belt to be active, he's the guy to go to. But much like George said, I think a lot of us just are intrigued with Pohotan and, and uh, Jamal Hill. Stylistically, we feel like that's just going to be a banger. That's going to be a really good fight. And, you know, there's a little history there. It just seems like it would be fun. You'd have to wait a little bit, and you would have to kind of trust that Jamal Hill uh, does not, you know, he takes his rehab seriously and can honestly make it to that point 100%. That would be a great fight, especially considering, you know, Jamal Hill, he was told he gets his shot when he comes back, and, and that kid I think has deserved it, especially with the way he vacated his title. I think that was very commendable. I think that's the fight that everybody wants to see. But if they were to surprise us and do this one early, then yeah, it absolutely has to be Ankalaev. What I feel, feel is is kind of interesting and almost funny is I feel like the two best light heavyweights in the division don't have a title wrapped around their waist, right? I just feel like uh, for as good as Alex Pereira is, man, these two other guys, Ankalaev has just shown that he can do whatever he wants in a fight. He is going to be bad news. And we all know what Jamal Hill can do. Hopefully he comes back and he's still the same Jamal Hill. But either way, I think we're all going to be really happy. But does he deserve it? Absolutely. All right. Uh, Nolan, uh, sorry, Dan Tom, you're up next. Dan, you pour over a lot of footage. I know somewhere out there, and I guess it must have been after Hill defeated Pajeda. Don't they show 
Pajeda kind of walking and glaring at him or something like we're going to meet down the road. I mean, what what do you think here? Again, uh, Ankalaev looked great, man. We can't ask for more of him. He got that finish, uh, and he's probably ready to go. But that hill Pajeda matchup, that's tasty. Yeah, it's hard to tell with Poetan because he's always so stone-faced, right? Like after the matchup with Glover, <laughs> Glover's all class even though he lost. Uh, but, you know, Poetan's you know, kind of just standing there staring. Um, so here's the thing. I definitely think, you know, Hill versus Poetan is the more sexier matchup, both stylistically and you've got kind of that, uh, you know, intrigue that you're you're leading on to, right, Gigi? Uh, that being said, you got to feel like Ankalaev is deserved. You really can't tear down Goza's argument. He really nailed it there. And from a Styles perspective, Ankalaev is arguably one of the tougher uh, fights for, uh, you know, Poetan being that he's a southpaw. He can wrestle, even though it seems like he kind of has to be tricked into it. Old Dagestani Stipe, old Magomed Miocic, telling you, just put the nose piece, put the beard on Stipe Miocic's. It's right there. I did it for my thumbnail last week. Nobody knew this. Notice, everybody's making fun of Stipe for being inactive. Is he really inactive? I don't know. You be the judge. But the point is, is the fact that if Ankalaev does get the win over Poetan, as much as that would be crappy for Poetan fans and all the, you know, stuff that he's garnered, let's be honest. It also gives the UFC another, you know, title challenger that is not named Islam Makachev they can take to Abu Dhabi. And I say that because... Let's be honest, Russians in Abu Dhabi is about the only home game we get from the UFC nowadays since they essentially throw everything in Vegas or to the highest bidder. <laughs> All right. Um, Nolan King, man, what are your thoughts on this topic? Again, Ankalaev did what he, what he was supposed to do, looked great, got the finish. But I may note uh, Ramadan is from like the first week of March to the first week of April. So though he could fight a lot of his training camp would be during that religious holiday uh, observed by the Muslims where they don't drink or eat. Uh, they don't consume anything during sun up. Now, that said, a guy like Bilal Muhammad has had no problems with that, but others have tried to stay away. Yeah, I mean, for me, when it comes what it comes down to right now, um, first of all, Ankle Live looked great, as everybody said. Uh, really impressive performance. Good way to kind of shake that um, idea that he's a boring fighter, which I know sometimes he's not put on the most exciting fights, but he does have a really solid highlight reel. Um, so if people look beyond the last few fights uh, prior to Walker, I think you'd see that uh, he has that ability to, to really make things explosive when he fights somebody that's willing to also be exciting with him. Um, with all that being said, I think both of these matchups are great. I'd be interested in both. Um, really what it comes down to at this point in time when you have a champion that's ready to go um, and is not necessarily being forced into another fight, like we've seen Pereira kind of teasing 300 and putting um, kind of these cryptic like math sort of equations out there that involve three. Um, if he's ready to go, if he's ready to headline UFC 300, I would say whoever is ready to fight him, whichever guy's willing to step up. And if they're both ready, I would say Ty goes to Jamal Hill. He's a guy that was a champion and never lost his belt. So for me, I have intrigue in both matchups, um, but I would say just with, uh, with timing and the champion being ready and not being pressured to get into another quick turnaround sort of fight, um, whichever guy's willing to, to put their name on the dotted line, whether it be for 300 or, um, you know, it looks like the UFC is going to have quite a slate of pay-per-views here coming up with, um, you know, the stack 299 card, 300, 301 in Brazil. Um, it sounds like as well as uh, two pay-per-views in June, one of which involving Conor McGregor. And then we know that they always bring it during the summer. So they're going to need champions to stay active for better or worse. Um, and so I would say whichever guy is, is good to go, give it to them. 
Now, you can participate in the show via the chat on YouTube and Facebook, and a good one came in from Facebook. I don't know which one of you guys wants to take this one. It says, love in the chat, guys. What about Izzy at 300 or no? Now, I don't know if that's a separate question or not, but as we know, there's a rivalry with Pajeda. He'd be cutting the line, going up to light heavyweight. He has been looking a little bulkier in the last few weeks. So is this a, a possibility any of you guys know, or are you even feeling that possibility? I'm certainly feeling it. I, I like the fight. I always said, you know, after watching them fight the first two times, it's one of the rare uh, matchups I feel like I wouldn't necessarily get sick of. Just with, It's not even just about the closeness and the fact they're tied one-to-one, but I think just the styles that they bring and, and the way that both fights played out. I mean, let's, let's just talk about that, right? The first one in, uh, in MMA ending in, in kind of a come-from-behind victory for Pereira, and then that knockout by Israel Adesanya, which Aaron MMA Junkies knockout of the year last year was just absolutely uh, one of those holy shit moments that gets us standing up from the the couch or cage side wherever you are you pay attention so i could watch them fight a million times and if if you know ankalaev if the ufc doesn't want to just give him another fight right away like they don't necessarily own one and if jamal hill is not ready like i don't it's not the division's not in a crazy place where i really feel like it's going to be screwing everyone over and clogging things up um alex Pereira stays pretty active uh for a guy that's that's in championship fights as does israel adesanya so I mean, if they're looking for that kind of that little extra oomph to to add to 300, you know, that's just not just a title fight. Like this is a rivalry fight. This is uh, new stakes, new, you know, it's got history, it's got build. Then I, I would be okay with them. Uh, usually, I'm not I'm not a fan of the the cut the line sort of process, but I think there are certain instances for it, and promotionally, it would make sense. Nolan, are you saying add it to 300, but you would still expect a bigger main event, or would Pajeda versus Izzy be your main event? Well, it's tough, right? Because I think a lot of people are, are kind of uh, criticizing 300 already. Just I think 299 shadowing it like right now with just the depth and the, the contender fights that are on there. So I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to criticize it yet. I think we have to see what the whole have, you know, comparing 13 fights to five is a little difficult. But if you have 13 <laughs> and 13, we can make more of a, a fair comparison, right? But just looking at the lay of the land right now, I don't think that the way that MMA has played out uh, or these these uh, divisions have played out recently really has allowed the UFC to have that sort of mega fight. Like, I, I don't necessarily know what it would be. What would be the thing that would really be that extra sort of Brock Lesnar, uh, you know, John Jones, DC, McGregor, Diaz sort of matchups that they could put on this? I'm not really sure that one exists, right? Unless they do something like really outside the box. Um, given their resources, I think that this would be not to that level, but if you had a card that say had three or four title fights somehow or, or three fights. And, you know, what if they did Justin Gaethje brought back the BMF belt? Like if, if they if they gave you, if the theme of 300 was look at how deep this card is, we're giving you the most amount of title fights in a pay-per-view with, you know, uh, prelims that have guys that could headline Apex shows, whatever. Like if that's the theme, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. But I think that this would be a good ribbon on top of that sort of package. Dan, I'm anxious to hear what you have to think. You're a purist in this sport, but is he cutting the line a little bit, or would you be okay with it because of that intense rivalry? I'd be okay with it because what Nolan said, you know, I don't think it's a, a, a full excuse. And again, what, what Nolan said, we, we ultimately have to wait, but he brings up a good point where, you know, the way the, the MMA plays out, um, there are these folds where you could be in one of the most stacked golden era of times, 
even in the, you know, Brock Lesnar, Jim Miller era, the two names getting, you know, they, they, like we're back in 2010. But you could argue maybe there's a pocket there where you pull, a, you know, a big, you know, 10 pull event. And, you know, you, your stars aren't just as available. Now, I do believe the UFC also has to blame for this because of their business model. They haven't really been too into building stars and the stars they have built say what you will about McGregor. And yes, he does put a lot of those bullets in his own foot. That being said, especially with USADA out of the picture this year, it really does kind of feel like, you know, um, you know, they could have maybe made something happen there. I know hindsight 2020, but to your guys' point, they are going to have to pull, and rounding back to answering George's question, they are going to have to pull from unconventional names, which means pulling away from their title picture. Now, we can have flexibility with the Pereira situation, put him against Adesanya, and I think that's still forgivable because Adesanya is such a big name. That is such a big matchup right? That it would be forgivable that it wouldn't make sense. I just mentioned, you know, McGregor early, earlier. Um, Poye has had enough time to recover from a, you know, a KO loss. And, you know, if, if you wanted to, you know, put him versus, you know, McGregor versus Poye, well, you'd, you'd be doing it, you know, for what, four times, but we've done, you know, uh, that in a row consecutively with lower uh, value names. And I hate to say that because flyweight always gets shade, but I'm talking about Figueredo Moreno. We did it with them. Why not with a big money name like McGregor? Like you don't really need True. the matchups that make sense to your point for 300. And at this point, that's exactly what they're going to need. If they're going to, you know, fill the big words that Dana himself put out there multiple times about this event. That is so true about Figgy and Marino, man. They shoved that down our throats. And the fights, most of, most of the time I was enjoying the action. But, right. yeah, division needs to breathe. And that leads to my other follow-up goes that I have for you. Um, do, okay, this weight class isn't as deep as others. Why? Because we've had some major injuries like Rakic, Hill, uh, now Blahovich, like long periods where fighters haven't been fighting. John Jones, of course, moved up. Uh, and you know, you got guys like Khalil Roundtree that are kind of making their way up, uh, Nikita Krylov, but you also got like monsters over at you know, like Nemkov, at least in our rankings, MMA junkie and USA Today, Nemkov, Corey Anderson. So it's just it's not as deep, right? Um, the title's been rotated around as well. John Jones had it for a long time, now it's been passed around, and you've had a few had even had to have it stripped. Do you find all this, in a way, at least appealing, or do you wish it had a little bit more of the structure, like the old days where Aldo Silva, GSP, you know, they were there and everyone was trying to get to them, and he, they, they would, you know, stake their claim and and stake their greatness. A little bit of both. I mean, when you think about it, uh, one of the golden ages of the division was when Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, Vitor Belfort, Tito Ortiz—they all passed the belt around. And we, we had kind of a fun time watching that unfold. I think one of the problems of the weight class is it just feels like it's always going to be in the shadow of John Jones, right? No matter who's at the top, we're going to be wondering, well, would they have beaten John Jones? Like He still kind of feels like he's that unofficial king of that division. Um, I think it's going to be fun. I think between the injuries and, and some of the styles, we'll have good fights. I honestly think, though, man, like I'm a big Jamal Hill fan. If he comes back 100%, I think we're going to have some good times. But if he doesn't, I feel like Ankalaev, he might hold on to that belt for a while. I think he might win it, hold on to it, and I think it'd be uh, it'd be him for a while. But, you know, we can go either way. And, and the, to, to hit on that point before me, the uh, UFC 300 cards, these guys kind of hit it on the, the nail on the head in the sense that, like, look, it's good. But I think when we're talking about 300, we have to kind of get outside of that bubble, and we haven't had that feeling yet. It feels like a stacked card, but we get stacked cards throughout the year, right? 
UFC 300 has to pop some way. And we need something to make that pop. And we still haven't really gotten that yet. And I think that's why a lot of us feel the way we do. You know, like Dan said, Dana White had some big words. You know, he's still got some time. But whatever it is, it better hit pretty strong. Because uh, right now, it just feels like a stacked card. And we've seen those. All right. Uh, let's go to the chat here. Joey says, one of my favorite shows on a Monday morning. Thank you for saying that. I've seen you in our chat. So I appreciate you. This would be my message to all of you that do tune in every Monday. Tell a friend. Because if you bring someone in, we'll, I mean, everyone that does it, we'll kind of double our audience instantly. So give it a retweet or a, a follow or a, what do you call it? A post on Facebook, on Instagram, on all of our socials. We basically promote the show. So if you can help us out there, that like button, very, very important as well. I'll read some more as we get to it. I'm seeing one foot out the door talking about Drikas and Strickland. We'll get to that. Trust me, it's on today's slate. But we're going to move on for now. Jim Miller, guys, does it again. 43 fights in the UFC, 26 wins, 18 finishes, 15 bonuses. All this in the UFC. He had like 10 outside the UFC, but all this just in the UFC. And his fight, I thought, was exciting. I mean, this guy was bringing all the tools, you know, uh, against Benitez, kicking him in the thigh, lower calf kicks, you know, these amazing takedowns where he looked like Edge from WWE, just fearing poor Benitez, elbows, ground and pound it was really really i mean i love the fact that he wasn't mailing it in at all he deserves a spot at ufc 300 all right uh he's also got the, the big deal here for those that don't know he was on ufc 100 and 200 that's why everyone's cheering for him to fight at 300 in his post-fight interviews two names were at the top of his tongue matt brown a welterweight and uh, Paul Felder, a retired lightweight who, by the way, is still in the Asada pool and had a big smile on his face when the camera panned him. Which one of these two would you like to see him fight next? Dan, you're going to go first on this one. I say screw it. We need a title shot. You know, Makachev's out. Interim title, baby. Jim Miller. Um, in all seriousness, no, even if the UFC went that lofty, like, could you really blame him for a guy like Jim Miller? Like, I mean, forget the Hall of Fame argument. I'm sorry, DC. Everyone's got a right to their opinion. But like Jim said, you can still be wrong with that opinion. And I think anybody is wrong if they are denying a guy like Jim Miller Hall of Fame status, not just for longevity, but for the division he competes in. It's just insane. Uh, moves to 6-7 and seven against fellow UFC-level southpaws with this win over Benitez. Looks great. Don't like the position that Sean Shelby put him in, you know, as far as like, oh, you'll have enough time to heal for 300. And of course, it's a three round war. Luckily, Jim Miller uh, is able to get the finish and, you know, come on top of that three round four, uh, uh, three round war, by the way, hasn't gotten one in 13 years in the third round since Kamal Shalarus, baby. Oh, man, I remember watching that fight, like getting ready for my own amateur fight back in the day. Like, that's how long this guy's been around, man. I mean, George said edge reference like that is a perfect age appropriate reference. In fact, I would love for Jim Miller to enter through the crowd with some bad moon rising for the US 3C300. Like, how, how, how badass would that be? But yes, as far as who is next, as much as I love Matt Brown, and I think that is the front runner for the fights that could get made, I don't want it because I'm both a Matt Brown and Jim Miller fan. I think that's a tough fight for him. I would love to see Jim Miller stay at 155 and add to his already impressive resume in that division so hopefully paulie felder can make it because that seems like a name that makes sense and i don't like we talked about earlier it's not a lot of names big names floating around out right now mm -hmm. i like it dan love the passion man you definitely are an old school guy and uh i can't believe shalarusa i haven't heard that guy's name in a long time did you guys know by the way at one point he used to eat at 8 p.m one time per day 
at least yeah. he told Gills and I that on MMA Junkie Radio like a dozen years ago. We remember like, that. What? Yeah. Um, Kamal Shalaru, shout out to that guy. All right. In the chat, before I get to Nolan here, Nolan's up next because I want to get his thoughts here on, you know, which of the two. Uh, I saw something there that jumped out at me. What? Oh, he says, one fed out the door says, hopefully Bruce Miller introduces him as Jim Affing Miller. And I'm like, hell yeah. That just gets me pumped up even thinking about Miller at UFC 300 and how bad I want to see it. All right, Nolan, how about you, man? Who do you like here? I kind of, I mean, both I wouldn't complain about either, right? But for me, I, I do like the Felder matchup. I think there's been a little bit more of anticipation on that. There's also been, uh, it's been part of Felder's one foot in the door, uh, not to shout out the uh, the commenter, but there's been, when he's when he's had one foot in the door, since he's come back, he's said that Jim Miller's kind of the guy that's, that's lured him back in. So for him to return, I think it needs to be something special. And so I wouldn't mind seeing Paul Felder white, fight one more time. Um, and if this is going to be what has to happen to make that happen, I'm, I'm here for it. I think sticking it lightweight for Jim Miller would be smart. Uh, not that he can't compete at welterweight, but I think he's kind of more of a, to me, he seems more of a natural lightweight going up to fight a more natural welterweight in Matt Brown. You, you obviously have the, the weight play into it as well. So Miller, Miller Felder sells itself for me. I think it would be, those are the sort of fights that if, if you really want to make UFC 300 special, that's the sort of fight you would book, you know, if, whether it's on the prelims, uh, which I'm guessing it probably will be. Um, I'm not sure how they'll, if, if Bruce Buffer does go with the uh, the Jim effing Miller, they might not be able to show it or they'd have to uh, to blank it out or something, which would be funny. But uh, no, I'm, I'm here for it, man. Either option, but I'm definitely uh, in, in the Felder camp if I had to pick one. All right, goes. How about you, man? Brown, Felder, something else? <sighs> I'm not a big fan of the 170 part of this equation, right, for, for Jim Miller. Um, but if I had to lean one way, it would be Brown. And I know that doesn't really make much sense, but I'm going to tell you why. With Paul Felder, the thing that I don't like is one of the reasons Paul Felder wants to come back is because, you know, he got to experience what the Korean zombie went through, right? His his uh, grand finale. People at home were getting tears. I can't imagine what it was like in that arena. And I feel like he deserves that as well. Okay. Paul Felder deserves something like that. And if he's looking to get that at UFC 300, I don't think it's going to work. You know, no matter who you are, when you're fighting Jim Miller at UFC 300, you're going to be the heel in that fight. You're just, you're not the guy they're going to cheer for. They're going to cheer for Jim Miller. And I feel like that's going to take away a little bit from what Paul Felder's trying to accomplish here. I think he needs to have his own Jim Miller moment, his moment to be out there and, and for the fans to really appreciate what he has done for our sport. It's been pretty, pretty tremendous. And uh, I think he deserves that. So that's the only reason why I wouldn't want it to be Paul Felder. But if I can go outside of that box, and we said this here a couple weeks ago, I think, on Spinning Back Click, I feel like Tony Ferguson would probably be like a, a good matchup for Jim Miller at 155. Uh, that would probably be my perfect scenario. You know, I said that too, and I've gotten lambasted on social media. He's trying to get Tony killed. and But look, all I can tell you is when we asked Jim Miller this, on junkie radio he was all about it he was like man that dude's a legend his 12 fight win streak is one of the greatest things i've ever witnessed i'd love to get locked up in a cage against that guy so that comes from miller it was just my suggestion but he seemed to love it so anyone that's come at me go come at jim miller man because he liked it too but yeah um miller did say 170 nice because you know it's a lot easier on the body this 40 year old body and part of me is like hey jim miller whatever you want will do but guys 
he just looks so sharp at 155. Like I said, this guy's not mailing it in, man. He had a lot of techniques that were nice. You could tell he would huff and puff, but he'd catch his breath. I mean, he takes it serious. He really shows up in great shape. And then all of a sudden, he goes out there and goes on the attack, looks for the finish. That's why I really tip my hat to that guy. He's amazing. And like Dan said, anybody that's been anti-Jim Miller going in the UFC, man, I, I think you have to rethink your position. Or at least if this fight didn't do it, hopefully 300 does it. Or hopefully those stats that I threw out a little while ago do it. Because that is one amazing career that we may never see again. Guys, would you like to see him? Ended at 300, though, uh, as we're saying all this about Jim Miller. Is that the perfect exit? Dan, real quick. Only if he got, like, a last-minute title opportunity, which sounds crazy. But, again, for all the things UFC does, if anybody uses the dare deserved word, come on. How awesome would that be? Mm-hmm. Nolan, would you like to see him ended at 300? Uh, it's If you had asked me a year ago, I would have said yes. But the fact that he's 5-1 and one in his last six, I'm kind of like, might as well keep going, right? I mean, if, yeah. especially if he goes out there and wins, like, Shit, then you're six and one in one of the toughest UFC divisions uh, in the last seven. I would say, say let's go, go to 400. Let's go. <laughs> Ghost? I wouldn't have a problem either way, but you know, you guys are right. He looked pretty decent in this last fight. But if he were to look good again at UFC 300 and get a good victory, boy, would that be like a beautiful send off, right? In Las Vegas, UFC 300. The fans would be going nuts. I don't know that you could beat something like that. So really, I think it just comes down to financially. If he seems pretty okay, you know, but uh, he definitely seems like he could keep doing this at least till the end of the year. Yeah, man, we could talk about Jim Miller for a whole hour, but we got to move on. Great stuff, guys, covering every uh, point here regarding Miller and his historical run. All right, so speaking of 300, the UFC added a fight. A title fight, no less. UFC strawweight champion Zhang Weili, Weili Zhang, excuse me, uh, will defend versus fellow Chinese standout Yan Zhonan. Was this the right, right matchup to make, yay or nay? Nolan, we go to you. Yay. I think it was the right one. I know, obviously, you have Tatiana Suarez waiting in the wings as well, but I did give the tie to uh, Yan Zhonan. Um, so I was happy that the UFC went this route. Now having the China versus China title fight in Vegas is always, you know, when they do these things where they don't seem to necessarily post pandemic, they don't necessarily seem to care about the, uh, kind of the hometown sort of home city, home country sort of vibes that they used to when they were on the road doing all the, the smaller city fight nights throughout the United States and beyond. Um, but I would have liked to see this one in China, especially where it seems like they owe uh, China a card after the cancellation that happened in December. But we still don't really know what the case was with that. I've seen some reports out there that there was a permit issue, um, kind of a weird situation all around. Right. So maybe there's something that's preventing the UFC from going there. Um, but overall, I think this was the right fight to book. I'm not as much of a hater on it as some people are. I think. Maybe the fact that they're expecting bigger title fights, again, for UFC 300 is why people are hating on this one. But I think it was the right matchup. It's got some historical uniqueness to it. Um, and it's a good complement to hopefully some more title fights that will be announced for, for 300 pretty soon. All right, we'll go to goes next. Yay or nay? I did want to say, I did say it right. It is Zhang Weili officially. We just call her Weili when we refer, refer to her um, just commonly. So anyway, goes take it from here. Yay or nay? You feeling this thing or you got another name for us? No, no, no. I'm feeling it. I think it makes sense. I think the UFC got this one right. Um, it's on a huge card. We don't know, depending on what else is going to be on that card, where the placement will be. 
but this is kind of set up for Zhang Weili to have a pretty tremendous year. You know, don't look past Panda. Panda's tough. She's a great fighter. Um, I feel like Zhang Weili may just be a little better in certain uh, categories, but it's still a tough fight. I think what a lot of us are looking at, and I think what could possibly happen here, is with Tatiana Suarez and Amanda Lemos, uh, if, if Tatiana Suarez can get that victory, then boy, does that build to a second fight this year if Zhang Weili can get past Zhang Ran, then we're going to have a great fight there. I think that's the one that everybody wants to see, and that could be a tremendous year. Two big victories if Zhang Weili can survive that because Tatiana Suarez is tough, and she is getting better. If those two meet later on in this year, it's going to be good for that division. It's going to be good for Zhang Weili, but I think they got this one right. I'm happy with this one. All right, Dan, how about you? Yay or nay? You feeling this matchup? Zhang Weili against Yan Zhonan. Uh, I agree with Nolan as far as like defending it from a matchup perspective, even on a card that's being promised as UFC 300. I think it's just fine for that card, and I would defend it as a matchup itself. But I do feel the disappointment because you have the kind of that 50-50, like Nolan said, and I also kind of edged it to Yan Zhonan. But part of my reason for edging it or suspecting that the UFC would make that matchup first before Suarez would be the, the you know the amount of work they put into the Chinese market from the PI um, and stuff like that. You figure they would want to pay that off, which is what perhaps this matchup was originally intended for. Um, and, and instead you're doing it in the literal backyard of where Tatiana Suarez trains. So it does kind of feel weird from that perspective. Um, I will defend it from the matchup, but I will just say again, kind of shame on the UFC. You know, it's like, we're doing UFC, you know, Mexico and Noche in Vegas twice. We're doing, you know, road to UFC Korea with Japanese fighters in Vegas. We're doing the Chinese China versus China matchup that I just said that we would only make it because it's a China versus China matchup. But we're gonna we're not gonna use it for Asia. We're actually gonna use it in Vegas, and it's part and parcel to this era of the UFC only going to, you know, Middle East, Vegas, and kind of whoever else will pay their site fees. But then also, this is kind of a long-standing tread, whether we're talking about the recently canceled Korea card on top of this canceled Asia card, back when Rick Lamas was supposed to fight BJ Penn in the Philippines, the road to UFC, Singapore, Korea, Japan, uh, the fact that for the last decade we do, you know, for Dana White, we don't do woke S in the UFC. They do Pride Month. They do literally every awareness month possible, except for the last decade, ignoring Asians. They pretty much ignore Asians on every level and checkbox. So anybody keeping score at home, this is no surprise. And Dan, they haven't even gone to Hawaii either, man. That's pissed me nope. off for a long time. They've nope. had Hawaiian star after Hawaiian star. You know, um, yeah, I feel you, man. They, I feel you. They have Asian, they have Asians, Asians, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, all all incorporated by those little BS awareness months. Where all they got to do is put out one little thing and replay it the whole month like they do everybody else. You know, with the Michael Chandlers of the world, right? They couldn't even do that. They couldn't even give us that. I don't know. So whatever. I uh, I wish they also would go to Japan more often, man. Pride yeah. came strong with some shows back in the day. And oh, yeah. when they've gone there, Dana's even said, man, we need to come back here more often. He's been in attendance at Pride shows when he went with Chuck Liddell, like in 2003, 2004, put 500 grand that he would make it. I think he was supposed to take down a, a middleweight tournament, which was their version of light heavyweight at the time. Yeah. He was there on the commentator's desk. Yeah. Uh, in the early 2000s. He loved it out there. He said some great things about uh, uh, Japan. So anyway, he got uh, traumatized, I, though, too, you know, because uh, <laughs> it didn't go it didn't go his way. But yeah, maybe, maybe that was the other part of it. <laughs> quick follow up here. Um, this would be Zhang Wei Li's third title defense if successful. 
She would be in second place when it comes to title defenses at strawweight. Joanna Janjacek has five. She holds the record. Where do we start ranking Zhang Weili if she can get past this tough test? What do you think, Nolan? I think you start having that conversation for sure. You know, that's actually a good point. Maybe we're overlooking her a bit. We're not necessarily taking her for granted, but I think she's going out there and kind of started to have peel away where these some of these fights aren't necessarily competitive, right? So uh, you look at the Ioana era, I feel like she had a little bit, maybe her hands full a little bit more at times or a little bit more back and forth battles like the one she had with with Whaley. Um, so I don't know. I think maybe after this, we can start having that debate and then maybe another one would put the cherry on top of the uh, the cake. Mm-hmm. You know, Zeke in the chat goes, he threw something out. What about that whole talk about Jean Whaley and Alexa Gras? So I know it's probably too soon. Sort out your divisions first, right, between these super fights. But there does have a wow to that matchup, which is kind of what we've been complaining about that UFC 300 may have been lacking. Would you have been into that at all? Or does Alexa need to address Shevchenko and then, like I say, just, uh, you know, address their own divisions? Yeah, Alexa has her hands full right now. Um it's intriguing, but I think way further down the line. Mm-hmm. All right. I say this, this is a good, good, good problem to have. I just want to say Dan. that's a good problem to have. Just, yeah. That's a good problem to have for the women's divisions, right? Like, the, we, we haven't really been able to say that in a minute. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And By the way, way, right now is kind of a, a bit of a cluster, too. Like, obviously, we have this rematch, this trilogy fight that's going to be happen at some point, but both people are coming off injuries. And then you got the Blanchfield, Pharrell, Menel Pharrell fight coming up. So, I, that's that's the when I said earlier the thing about Izzy and how I don't like divisions really being like held hostage for those sort of moves. I feel like while it wouldn't necessarily hold strawweight that hostage right now, I think it would certainly be holding flyweight hostage. There's too just too much of a, a jam right there. I think for that to happen right now. That's a good point. I just wanted to chime in that Zhang Weili does have two wins over Joanna. So if she makes it to three, even though Joanna has five, I wonder if those head to heads kind of maybe propel her. Now that said. Uh, Rose Namajunas could easily tap my shoulder and say, hold this beer uh, while I tell you my stats. I have two wins over Jean Weili and Joanna Yandrzejczyk, but you know, she's only got like two title defenses. So mm-hmm. now she's going for it though at flyweight. So who knows? Maybe she's trying to build something along the lines of what Amanda Nunes did. And that's superstardom at, at two weight, uh, two weight classes. Anyway, uh, move on, moving on here. All right, so let's talk about some of the other great fights that were booked this past week. So we mentioned Jean Weili and Yan Jonan, but check out some of these. And don't laugh at some of these because there's, there's I, I don't know, I think not both things have to be great, but just I think the storyline could possibly be great, right? Dom Reyes versus Carlos Aldberg. Brandon Marino versus Brandon Royville, too, because Amir Albazi has dropped out. So the first one's in Atlantic City, the second one's uh, UFC Mexico, Rose Namajunas versus Amanda Hevas. Oh, my God, man. Amanda Hevas is a gangster. So is Rose. I really love that one. I may have just tipped my hand. Davison Figueredo versus Cody Garbrandt. Sean Brady versus Vicente Luque. Tai Tuivasa versus Martin Tabora. That matchup was already made, but it was moved to the apex. They're going to headline a fight night. And Jermaine Durandamy comes out of retirement. She's fighting. Uh, Norma Dumont. This is in April. Which fight are you most excited about? Goes. I'm kind of. I kind of like fights that have a little bit of a storyline with them, and I think Davis and Figueredo and Cody Garbrandt tells a little bit of a story. I like that one because, like, either way, the UFC is going to win. The fans are going to win. Um, if Davis gets another win here, 
at, at this weight class, it, it really says a lot about his future, right? And what he could possibly do in this division. Uh, Rob Font's no joke. You know, you get a win here over a former champion uh, in another division, Cody Garbrandt, and now, now you're cooking, right? So you got that storyline on one side. And then you got Cody Garbrandt, who I, I think has looked pretty good as of late. I think he's showing shades of his former self. Uh, there's certain things that he's had to kind of get through, and I think he's kind of going over that hill, and I think he's getting past all that stuff. So I think this fight, it's going to be a banger. They're going to go at it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And if Cody Garbrandt gets a win, well, you know, he's a former champion. He's very likable. I think that could put him in very maybe that outside-looking-in position. And in a division like that, man, there's just so many good fights. I want to see a little bit more uh, out of Cody Garbrandt in the, in the next year and a half. I think uh, the storyline's here. I think it sells itself. I think it's a great fight. Figgy versus no love for goes. Dan, how about you, man? Any of them got your tail wagon? I'm not even trying to be contrarian, Dan, Tom here, folks, but I honestly think outside of maybe Nama Yunus Rebos, which is just a, a fine whatever matchup, I think these are all kind of garbage matchups. Figueredo <laughs> versus Garbrandt, uh, it's it's terrible. Uh, guys, I, you guys know this. I've been saying it since we've been on Junkie Radio like half a decade. Nolan knows this because he knows everything. He's just awesome. But guys, Peter Yan versus Davison Figueredo has been the fight to make, and I've been calling for that since before Davison Figueredo became the flyweight champion because – he was a natural bantamweight, so it didn't surprise me at all to see him come up here and win. And now we're going to have him step back, maybe not name-wise, because Cody Garbrandt's a name, but Garbrandt, you know, any kind of pressure. You look at that, like, Trevin Jones fight, even in the third round and stuff, like, his reactions aren't the greatest. I know he beat Kelleher, but I don't think that's a great matchup at all. Uh, Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Royville, too. Oh, my goodness, guys. We haven't had any rematches at flyweight, much less any rematches since 2021. That sarcasm because literally it feels like seventy percent of the matchups. Do it. It's been since twenty twenty one. Sorry, rematch city. I hate writing up rematches. Oh, another rematch. Oh, Carlos Olbert <laughs> versus Amias. Two guys that don't even need uh, big names or matchups right now. They both need get right fights in different stages for different reasons. Oh, but no, let's do the classic. Uh, let's let's do let's torture a guy who is a name who really needs to get right in Dominic Reyes, but he's having severe chin problems. Let's put him against a striker. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Oh, how about Sean Brady versus Vicente Luque? Another matchup dynamic that I love where we're taking the young prospect and putting it over the, the older guy, and you get all the disrespect from the odds to the to the pundits all piling onto the older guy. But what makes it worse is this older guy, Vicente Luque, he may not look older because he's a handsome devil, but he's out of brain bleed. You know, and I know Sean Brady isn't the biggest striker, but again, kind of like, you know, who did we match up Luke before this? It was another, you know, a uh, hyped guy, Ian Gary. It's, I hate those type of matchups. Tied to Ivasa versus My Marcin Tabura, heavyweight, apex, headliner. Need I say more? Guys, I love Arlovsky, but, you know, and, and it's mainly due to Salsa Boy, my least favorite fighter on the roster, definitely at heavyweight. But we've seen what heavyweights do on main cards on fight nights. There's a reason why I S all over it, all over my columns and 99.9%, and that's a generous stat. I'm right. It goes to decision. It's over. It's boring. We're going to put that in the main event. And Jermaine Durandamy versus Norma Dumont. I'm just going to do the uh, Barack Obama gif, the shrugging and looking around. <laughs> There we go. I just uh, UFC matchmakers, you want a consultant? I, I'm right here for you, guys. I'm, I'm right here for you. All right, well, all right. Dan's not feeling any of them, but you kind of like the Mandahibas and Rose a little bit, right? Just a little bit. That was acceptable. That was a C plus. Okay. Yeah, that was acceptable. Amanda Hebas gets down in her fight. So does Rose. Nolan, how about you, man? Uh, are you digging any of these? I mean, I'm not even sure how I can follow that now. I feel like whatever <laughs> I think is going to. Uh... 
there's already an argument against it. But, um, you know, I, I think there is some truth to what Dan's saying. Um, when I was going through this list, it was a little bit more difficult for me to find one. You know, Moreno versus uh, uh, Roy Val would be pretty scrambly. That could be fun. Uh, for me, I do like the Luke versus Brady matchup, um, at least in terms of, you know, I, I think it, it, it moves one guy up the ladder a bit. I think for Sean Brady, he can kind of get that momentum uh, continued from the Gaslam fight. Luke obviously can get in there and uh, compete, which he didn't get to do in December, unfortunately, because of Ian Gary's pullout. Um, I do am a big fan of them having the domestic fight night events again. I think those have kind of were one of the, when people talk about the apex, right, and how many shows there are there, really, these are the sort of fight nights that are the reason, the, the, you know, these were a um, uh, something that went away during the pandemic, right? This was This was what was lost out of the UFC schedule. So, for these to kind of be creeping back in, whether it's uh, tourism boards paying for them to come or whatever, I do like seeing them. And uh, I do like the homecoming factor that Sean Brady, you know, an hour from Philadelphia will have uh, that community there and some of those fighters will get to be supported. So um, that's and, and the other thing, really, the, the reason I circle this is I kind of find it to be maybe one of the more competitive matchups on here. Like there's some uh, that I felt were uh, maybe a little bit you kind of can predict who's going to win or there's the balls, the, the uh, it's, there's a strong favorite in it, but I felt like this one perhaps will be over the span of five rounds, uh, a little bit more competitive than the rest. But um, Dan Tom has me rethinking uh, life after that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw my hat into the ring. I like fighters that uh, are on the verge of historical significance, which by the way, once you win a title, you're there, right? And anything you add to it is gravy. I think Jermaine Durandamy is a pretty interesting young lady. She's a police officer in Holland, for those that don't know. Just recently became a mom. But, I mean, she has got a hit list, guys. She's beaten Larissa Pacheco, who we all are, you know, speaking so highly of in the last few years. She's beaten Holly Holm. She's beaten Aspen Ladd, Raquel Pennington, who's fighting for a title this year, Juliana Pena, who's won the title. So that's what, three major belt holders. Uh, and, and again, she held the featherweight title uh, at one point when the UFC inaugurated it. Imagine if she can come in and at some point, I'm sure she wants to make a run at this title because Pennington and Pena both have wins. One's fighting for the title. The other one might be next. So uh, Norma Dumont is a stiff test. Now, I... I the featherweight division was pretty much garbage most of the time but she did win her belt it wasn't her fault she basically made her living more as a bantamweight so i wish her the best we'll see if she can do it she's 39 years old another thing too kickboxing she's like 46 and 0 as a kickboxer that's pretty damn incredible as a combat sports athlete if she can uh you know add another belt before she's she's done i, I was excited to see her back in the running especially since nunez has been out and nunez has been the one to hang two L's on her in the last decade. Anyway, all right, uh, topic five, UFC 297. It takes place on Saturday in Toronto, Canada. Goes and I will be hosting a watch-along for UFC 297. It starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. That's for the four fights, the four featured prelim fights on the card. So everybody gets those for free around the world, right? But in the United States and a few other select countries, that main card is a pay-per-view. Some of us... May not elect to pay for that, so why don't you watch the fights along with us, and we'll tell you what's happening in real time. 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific for that. All right, so, guys, we have two title fights at the top of the bill. Sean Strickland defends 
his middleweight title versus Drikus Duplessis. And as I mentioned, Raquel Pennington and Myra Bueno Silva will compete for the vacant Bantamweight title. All right. Who isn't looking forward to the press conference? It's going to be crazy, right? Who isn't looking forward to the fight? But zeroing, zeroing in on this main event, what are you expecting and hoping for from these two great middleweight combatants? Dan, Tom, start off, please. I'm just hoping that we don't get any more uh, tough five uh, re reboots of uh, Bobby Southworth, you know, and, and Chris Lee. But you fatherless bastard. Sorry, that, that you could clip that like MMA fighters with daddy issues never, never die. It's, it's evergreen. Uh, so many people in this space have them. Uh, but yeah, listen, listen, it, 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 it's life. Uh, you know, these things happen. These things happen in MMA. And ultimately, it's the fight that decides what the title is. That's what I'm looking forward to most. Obviously, uh, Sean Strickland trains out of Extreme Couture, my backyard, with my guy Eric Nixick. That being said, that doesn't mean, you know, I pick Extreme Couture fighters every time. And in fact, I picked against Sean Strickland uh, when he fought out of Sonya. Um, that being said, regardless of what my pick is, folks, I will say this. This is going to be a dangerous match, and Dreykus Duplessis is a live dog. Say what you will about his antics outside of the cage. Say what you will about some of the unfavorable highlights that he also has inside of the cage. The guy might not be pretty, but boy, is he effective. And um, this feels like a classic, like, I feel like we haven't had a middleweight fight like this between since, like, Evan Tanner and Rich Franklin. I don't know if I'm just doing the act test here, but this feels like a classic middleweight title fight here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Nolan, I'm going to give you some odds, too, since Dan did put it out there. You know, he will be doing his breakdowns. Check it out towards the end of the week on MMA Junkie. Also does a great job of breaking down the fights on his podcast, Protect Your Neck. Check it out. He's on YouTube. And obviously, you can go to your favorite podcast uh, spot to uh, pick up his show, Protect Your Neck. The odds, minus 130, 135. They're kind of all over the place. Well, no, not, not really. I mean, they're, they're kind of consistent is what I'm, I should say. It's just different houses uh, are in that, that ballpark. There you go. And then the comeback is Duplessis. He is, that's why he called him a live dog. He is the underdog, plus 110, plus 115, somewhere in that range. But Nolan, I want to, I want to know from you, man. A lot of controversy around both of these guys. They got into it at the uh, T-Mobile, and then of course the press conference went really, really dark. So, what do you want to see out of these great combatants this week? I mean, for me, I just want to see a great fight right at the end of the day. And I honestly think we kind of have one. This was when we were doing our um, staff picks, you know, submitting them. I was going through it last night, and this is a. Uh, kind of a tough fight for me to pick right because i think when you have two guys where you've who you've seen at their lows sometimes or maybe they haven't looked great like we've seen sean strickland go out there and just get absolutely knocked out by alex Pereira. we've seen times where drikas would go in there and win but you'd be like man i don't know like there's no way this guy wins his next fight like he has no you know nothing left in the tank midway through the second round and he's just kind of brawling and getting hit with all sorts of stuff but the, the two performances that these two guys put on and eat, you know, each one in their last outing were so impressive and really made me question how much, you know, how consistently can they put this on, but not only that, but how, how much better can they even, can they get better? Like if they can, that's kind of scary each of them. Right. So for Drinkus to go out there and absolutely uh, pummel Robert Whitaker um, for Sean Strickland to go out there and absolutely upset Israel Adesanya and an absolutely one-sided, largely one-sided performance. I mean, those are two sentences that if you had said that to me a year ago, like from today, in tw when 2023 was beginning, I would have called BS on it. So um, if b both of those versions of these guys show up, I think they honestly lay out a pretty interesting stylistic matchup. And I, I think that there's things going on in my brain that, you know, for Adrikas, like if he goes out there, he's aggressive and, and he's 
somebody that really brings it to Strickland. We've seen in the past where Sean can be kind of gun shy and, he, you know, he doesn't take damage well. But then also for Strickland, he should be – if he's the, the guy that fought Israel Adesanya, he should show up, be able to, uh, you know, kind of move forward and use his, his technique and not be afraid and, and use that kind of awkward um, guard, which I'm sure Dan Tom could tell you more about if we uh, for, probably talk about it for, for weeks and give you more of a technical breakdown than I'm giving you. But I, I just love this fight, man. And I'm sure if, if people get jazzed up, I get it by Sean Strickland leaping and, and fighting Drikas. I mean, I'm not going to lie, sort of ha having it feel like an authentic rivalry is something that always inherently makes me more interested in the fight. But if you put all that aside, I do think stylistically, this provides a very intriguing matchup. And I'm honestly really excited to, uh, to see what happens. Mm hmm. All right. How about you, Goes? Uh, you know, clear transparency here. He's my brother. He's got a degree in psychology. And I know there was something about that press conference that kind of throttled your brain a little bit. And I, I believe you're one of the few people I know. I'm, I'm sure lots of people have downloaded. But you watched that whole two-hour podcast, I believe, with Theo Vaughn and Sean oh, yeah. Strickland. I've only caught in a certain excerpt. But, you know, what about that side of things, man? You know, these are two great prize fighters. They dislike each other. We got all the B-roll in the world to sell this thing, right? But on fight week, what do you want to see out of these two great combatants in that regard? Well, for starters, I want them to make it to the fight, right? I mean, they've already had their moment. Uh, hopefully, they can dial that down a little bit. Um, but so you got to remember, it's Canada, too. Like You just don't want things to get too out of hand there. They don't mess around over there. So I want the presser to be lit. But enough is enough. You know, let, let's get rid of some of the words that were thrown out there and let's not uh, jump at each other's throat. The fight is right around the corner. You can settle that. What stands out for me mentally is, yeah, Sean Strickland's state of mind, right? There are people that can take these situations and use that as fuel in a fight. They can make it work to their advantage. But there are people who will also absolutely melt down. And all it takes is the right thing to be said. Uh, the right emotion to pop up and it might take Sean Strickland out of his game plan. And, you know, we've, we've heard before just how, how much work it took for guys like Chris Curtis in his corner um, guys like, um, you know, Eric, right. Eric trying to dial him down and get him to follow a game plan. That is um, really tough to do. And so, they finally seem to have that dialed down, and I think they have to really figure out how they can keep Sean Strickland in a good mental state in this fight because there's going to be a lot of tactics involved here. You know, first of all, the range. I think that's really important. Whoever can figure out the other dude's range and get uh, behind enemy lines there, I think will be successful in that fight. But it's the mental state. For Sean Strickland, I think that's just so important for him to be able to dial all that down and use it all to his advantage. Because at the end of the day, these are two really, really good fighters. And I don't want to see any type of hiccup in that fight where you go, oh, man, if you just would have, if you just would have been his true self and fought the way he fought this guy, none of that. This is too big of a fight. I think it's going to be a great fight either way. I'm totally looking forward to it. I just want them to make it to the fight. Yeah, I'm pumped up, man. I hope this fight goes at least the three rounds, gets into the title, the championship rounds. I want to see Duplessis in, in rounds four, in rounds five against the guy that's got that type of pace. I want to see if Sean Strickland can get off his back because I anticipate Drikas uh, Duplessis wanting to maybe mix things up, take the fight to the ground. Uh, once he gets on top, he's got underrated ground and pound, man. 
I've doubted this guy plenty of times, and he's proven me wrong a few times. And, and then, of course, you got these subplots, right? If if he does take the title back to the continent of Africa, to South Africa, does that pull Izzy back in? We talked about Izzy earlier in the show and him and Poatan, but he's got a few uh, different, you know, little fires going, right? Where, and options, I guess we can say. So I'm sure he'll be watching. Uh, man, I am really, really pumped up about this fight. I love lively press conferences. I don't mind a shove. I just don't want fights breaking out because I don't want anything that can jeopardize the fight uh, this Saturday. So great stuff, guys. Um, I did want to ask you guys something here in regards to, uh, to... Have any of you heard about the alternate? Is there an alternate for this one? Or is are they just trusting that these two make it to the dance? I, for some reason, I don't think I've heard of an alternate. Any, any of you? I don't know. There should be two, though. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, uh, obviously, if we hear of one, we will definitely have it on MMA Junkie for you guys. But yeah, for some reason, they always kind of promote it. Sometimes we hear about them behind the scenes, but we always you know, find out who they are. But I, I just haven't heard anything here. Anyway, uh, you guys want to hear something funny? You know, I, I boast about the talent we have here on MMA Junkie. You see them here on these panels every week. Our videographers are outstanding so abby does the artwork at the front of uh spinning back like every week so talented and then ken hathaway uh cold coffee he has been a beast in junkie picks right guys the last few years mm-hmm. this guy submitted his picks b-roll on this show i was like what i got an email here and i looked and it was cold coffee submitting his picks <laughs> So this guy's like Tom Cat, you know that cartoon where he's just sweeping and and doing stuff, multi-talented, but can't have the way, man. I got to give him his props. He picks winners. He's already 5 and 0 to lead off this year. So shout out to Cold Coffee. Uh the last You thing may I not learned, know this though, George, uh Nolan, Dan, myself and Kenny were talking about this in our former staff picks champions group that we have. You know, we have a meeting oh. once a week. Uh, we were kind of talking about the same thing, but yeah, I, I could see when that information funnels down to the rest of you. Guys. I was close. I was breathing down Nolan King's neck, and then he went dark, dude. All of a sudden, he just wouldn't reveal his pick, so I couldn't go opposite, which was the only strategy I had. He's got a new strategy yeah. this year. He just it, was, it wouldn't have mattered. I went, I went ten and zero in the last two events. So D- did you really? Went ten. I was just trying to help you out, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to at least cover the spread. Um, all right. Uh, and by the way, the the readers had a nice year last year, and I think they're five and zero this year. So respect to the readers as well. The junkie staff picks you can check it out every week. Um, it's it's been part of basically our website for the last 10, 15 years. Uh, we basically uh, take in everybody's picks, and uh, how's it work, Nolan? I guess we take in everyone's picks and then just use the the highest percentage of what they submit, right? And then they go against us. Yeah, personally. yeah, it's like a popular vote kind of for them. Yeah. So. Matt Erickson, shout out to him, another unsung hero of MMA Junkie, uh, having to, mm-hmm. to grind through that. So, um, yeah, back. we have time for one additional, so we'll go quick on this one. Aljamain Sterling, he's saying Sayunara to 135, he's moving up to featherweight, uh, and he kind of makes it sound like this could be permanent. I would imagine something could lure him back if it was huge. Well, I don't know. Um, but what are your expectations from him, guys? Nolan, what do you think? I mean, I like the move. Um, I think. It's probably tough for a guy that just had the title to immediately move back up, right? To not even kind of run out of options at Bantamweight or kind of have hit a dead end or anything like that. But I think for him, for a guy, he's been open about how the weight cut sucked for him. So 
move up, see what happens. Featherweight right now uh, is kind of in a weird spot too, where like his fight against Cater could, could have some implications. Like, I don't know if he'll get the next shot, but like, I think both those guys could be essentially like two fights away with just the, the way that some of the, the round robin sort of scenarios can play out of somebody, you know, fighter X beats fighter Y who beats fighter Z who beats fighter X. So um, there's really out of, after Taporia, like, it's fairly open, you know, I'm, yeah, your Ortega might have some implications, who knows, but the UFC is looking for fresh matchups. I mean, Volkanovsky has not fought Aljo and it's a very promotable fight, two big names. I think it's a very smart time for him to move up. Mm-hmm. Goes, we had a recent example in uh, Fajeda, got a win. Now, next thing you know, he's fighting for a title. Then we've had guys like RDA who had to get like three or four wins before you got started and take it seriously. At welterweight, came up a little bit short eventually against Colby Covington, if I if I'm not mistaken. But what do you think, man? What are your expectations from Sterling here? I kind of hate it, but I mean, I've always been told biggest frame at the lowest weight class, you know, lowest you can go, biggest frame. Um, for Aljo, it's hard because if he's telling you he can't make that weight, you don't want him to put himself in that situation. But he just seems perfect for 135. If he can't do it, he can't do it. If it's a thing of maybe like a little bit more sacrifice, then I'd say, hey, it's worth that sacrifice because you're you're a beast there. At 145, look, some of the guys at the top right now are a little undersized, right? They're some of the smaller 145 or so. It's not like he can't do it. Uh, but I think, you know, overall, there's so many of them. I just don't know how long he can keep it up, what his body frame is going to look like at 145. But he's got opportunities up there. Mm-hmm. Dan, you see him at Extreme Couture, I'm sure. I mean, we've we've seen him, dude. That dude is a big dude, Aljo. Uh, and he has been pretty vocal about the cuts. But what, what are your thoughts here? You like it? What are your expectations? Yeah, I was gonna say he, he is big out of camp. Um, you know, and in the gym is in the gym, but like I haven't really seen him like, you know, going with big guys or anything to make any like calculations like that. Uh, I will say, like, you know, you look at the Nathaniel Woods of the world. I always doubt people going from 35 to 45, but they've been doing pretty good when they do go up there. And considering that Bantamweight is super, super stacked, arguably the most stacked division, um, going up to 145, which is maybe like the third stacked division or so, you know, th- that wouldn't be too bad there. And you also think about it, outside of like staples like Brian Ortega, who's mainly known for his jujitsu and opportunistic at that. You've only got like what Bryce Mitchell, who's been kind of fading out, and Mazvar uh, Evloev, as far as like the grapplers and submission grapplers. And Evloev's not a really a submission guy, so you kind of have that role open. Like, who wants to be the submission guy? Who wants to be like the dangerous grappling guy here at 145? Not a ton of people, despite being a very talented and stacked division. I say go Aljo, give it a shot. Nice. All right, guys. Great job here. Just a couple comments to close the show. John Perez says, hope the press conference doesn't get too personal. I hate to see that dark side of Strickland, but I know this fight is fireworks. Um, uh, you know, Zeke says, three-leg parlay for y'all. Jillian Robertson, Brad Nolan, and Mike Mallett. Not bad, not bad. All right. Uh, let's see here. There was one more. That Brad Katona. Uh, yes, yes, I, he, he might mean yeah. that. Uh, one foot out the door says Pennington has won five or six fights by holding opponents against the fence. You know, I'm, I'll give you guys my pick here. I'm kind of leaning towards Myra Bueno Silva, by the, by the way, in this fight. Um, but I, I've been a big Pennington fan because she's just such a gangster and she really has 
uh, some of the nicest hands uh, in Bantamweight. I, I really, really enjoy her fights, but this one might be tough with Myra Bueno Silva. Anyways, great stuff from the panel, as always. Cold coffee on those ones and twos. You can catch the show every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It's called Spinning Backlick, and it's live now. It has been now for about a year. Of course, the replay is immediately available afterwards if you joined us a little bit late. But one way to get uh, going with us, and you can match the comments to what we're saying, is hit that little bell, that alert button, and that'll tell you when we're on live, especially on Mondays. Or just make a note of it, obviously, in your smartphone. Tell a friend, share, like, subscribe. It'd be great. We wouldn't hate you. And don't forget, Goes and I will be hosting that watch along for UFC 297 here on MMA Junkie. It's at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. And, of course, the uh, main card, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Good luck with all your bets. Check out Dan's show. We'll see you all next week here on SBC. Go out and be a champion. <laughs>